We're going to be over in the, well, actually bouncing around quite a few different places here this morning as we look at a question, what can he or what can God ask of you? What can God ask of you? There is a story that is told of a soldier who was fighting over in Iraq and he received a letter from his girlfriend that said she was breaking up with him. In the letter, she also asked him for the return of the picture of herself, that she needed it because she, she needed that particular picture for a bridal announcement. Well, the soldier was very hurt by this, heartbroken to get such a letter, and he shared it with some of his buddies that were around in the platoon, and uh, one of them came up with an idea, and they said, we're all going to give you pictures of our girlfriends, and we want you to send them all back to her and say that... I would be happy to give you your picture back, but I'm not sure which one it is. Could you pick it out from this group and send me back the rest? And so that's what he, that's what he did. Uh, simple request, it seems. Kind of got the guy all upset. Requests have a way of making us angry, challenged, upset, fretful. Requests can do all sorts of things to us. When your boss comes and asks something of you, sometimes it can rise up in you as a challenge. Sometimes a boss comes and asks something of you, and it stirs up fear, anxiety, worry. I'm not sure if I can get that done. Requests can do all kinds of things. Messes with your confidence, throws you out. People, friends can ask us of things, and that can set us off. It can excite us. It can encourage us. What do requests do? We've been talking about this topic for a little while now, about the requests and our response to it. But one of the things we've got to look that we are in training for is God is training us to receive his requests. It seems that most times we, we spend time in prayer, we are asking God for things. My wife was making this point as she was going through Revelation uh, here she she was saying most of the time we're asking God for things but the word of God in Revelation talks about our prayers being a bowl being a uh, uh, something we can pour out so it's something that comes up to God so, uh, sweet there's something there but most of the time our, require, our prayers are requests and that's not what it's talking about it's talking about intercessions it's talking about standing in the gap it's talking about knowing the will of God and pressing in for it we looked at a few weeks ago about burdens, should we carry other people's burdens? And we saw that we are to carry burdens that are too heavy, that are unusual, that are uh, a heavier load than normal. And we're to help out our brothers and sisters with those particular types of loads. But the day-to-day, we need to carry ourselves. We need to learn how to carry it ourselves. Some people can carry a bigger day-to-day than others. They've developed their endurance. They've developed their ability. And we need to develop ours. And the more we continue to take the day-to-day off of the people around us, the less we're letting them build up their endurance. The Word of God says that each one should bear his own bear his own load or bear his own burden, that we should each, each do our own. And we looked at that. We spent some time on it looking at the different words that were used for each of those things. Yes, we are to bear one another's burdens, but those are for the heavy ones, the ones that are day-to-day. We need to learn how to bear them ourselves. And if God wants us to bear them ourselves, does not God also do the same thing? And expect us to carry some stuff. We looked at that last week. But God expects us to, to, to carry some things. What's Jesus say about your cross? Don't worry about it. I'll carry it for you. 
What's he say? <laughs> you need to bear it. You need to carry it. We need to stop having this kind of Christian life that just says, well, I just go through life and God just, he carries all the stuff that I don't want to carry or I can't carry because he's God. And that's not the way that it is. We're going to look at a couple of things here. First off, we're going to take a look at a request. And we've, we've looked at this before. We're just going to rush through it here. But I want you to see just a, just a few of the things that were here. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 1, Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his slept left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king and the king said to them, I have a dream. My spirit is anxious to know the dream. And the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and, I will, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your house... Houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Now, he goes on and talks about this with them. They try to argue, you know, no king has, has ever made this. Uh, we'll go down to verse 8. Then the king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known... The dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. How many know that they are looking at this as an unreasonable request from the boss? <laughs> The boss has given an unreasonable request. No boss has ever given this kind of request before. Verse 11 is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods who dwell, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now, this really gets him upset because these guys are supposed to be in touch with the gods. They're supposed to be communicating with the gods, and when they hear from the gods, they're supposed to tell him things. And so when they say, well, <laughs> we're not really uh, in touch with them, uh, he's getting... He's upset because he's saying, what have I been paying you? Why are you on my staff? Why am I feeding you? Why am I giving you a paycheck? Why am I housing you? And he's upset. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave a command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. They sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now, the killing has already started. Daniel does not stop the killing. He puts a halt to it, but people died until Daniel got wind of it. And he was able to, to do something. But this king, he is upset. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, verse 14. The captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time and he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mikael, Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. You can go read the rest of that. You'll see his praise that he gives to God for this. Again, this is a night vision. It is not a dream. The king gets it in a dream. Daniel gets it in a vision. He's awake. The king was asleep. And this was such an important dream. The king knew it was important. He knew that we can't go through the normal channels. I have to make sure that you guys know what you're talking about. So I want you to give me the dream. He did not forget the dream, as some people teach. 
he knows the dream. And when they tell him the dream, he will then know that they can therefore interpret the dream. Well, it's an unreasonable request by almost anybody's account. Tell me the thing that I dreamed last night. If you were to go up and tell somebody at work, tell me what I dreamed last night, they would think you're nuts. It is an unusual request. It's, an in, it's a hard request. It's a difficult request. And it caused a lot of people to be frustrated. I uh, put in your outline that unreasonable requests scare most, seen as an opportunity by others. There are some who will see what scares some people, others will see as an opportunity. So when the same thing comes knocking on your door, do you get scared and run off, or do you see it as an opportunity? This is a request made by a natural king. And if we are not trained up on how we are going to handle requests when they come, then when natural people come and make requests of us, what will we do? What happens if the things in this country continue to go on down the way that they are going and health care becomes more of a premium? That more and more people can't talk to doctors, can't see doctors, can't afford doctors. That more and more people are finding out that the doctors they thought were covered under their plan are not covered. And they're losing their doctors, they're losing their plans, they're losing their coverage, they're losing their confidence. There's a lot of this going on. So what happens if people get something really hard to be cured of even with doctors and they have no hope and they come to you and they say can you do anything for me what would you see that as is this a difficult request if the person comes to you and says i have such and such a cancer and they come to you is there anything you can do do you see that as a difficult request or do you see it as an opportunity for god to show up if we back off from what natural people tell us, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to help them? We can't back off. This country is undergoing a lot of changes. There's an opportunity there for God to, to do some things. We need to make sure we're in that, that place. Because people are going to come and they're going to ask some un unreasonable things. I have no hope to be cured. Can you help? You go to church. You serve God. Can he help? And they're going to come to you and, and ask. And what would you do? Well, let me see if I can go find somebody for you. <laughs> Daniel didn't go and try and find anybody. He said, no, we can do it. We can take care of this thing. Here's another one. This one maybe you can identify with a little bit better. Because uh, truthfully, when King Nebuchadnezzar made the request, he didn't want to kill anyone. He just wanted the, the interpretation to the dream. That's all he wanted. He wanted it real bad. His desire was not to kill a single person. He was angry because of what they replied. But here in 1 Samuel 18 and verse 20, now Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. He's thinking if he's got a little bit more concern to be alive because he's got a, a woman in his life, maybe he will be more at risk on the battlefield. Therefore, Saul said to well, I will give her to him that, that she may be a snare to him and the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Paul, uh, Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke these words in the hearing of David. And David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am poor and lightly esteemed? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner David spoke. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, 
The king does not desire any dowry, but 100 foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. So Paul saw thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So after he goes out and kills all these people, he wants them to kill 100 Philistines. David, tell you what, I don't want any money, no dowry. Take, just go in out there and kill 100 Philistines. That's it. He's thinking that one of those 100 Philistines he's going to go after is going to get the better of David. And uh, all his problems are gone. David's dead. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full count to the king. They then become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, as wife. So he went out there, and he, he doubled it. He didn't just do 100. He got 200. Brought 200 of them back, 200 uh, dead Philistines. And he, what are you going to do with that? He, he asked for 100, he got double. Thus Saul saw that, thus Saul, Saul knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David, so Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name became highly esteemed. Well, the intentions of Saul here were evil. They were not good. Have you ever had a boss who made requests of you and you were sure they were setting you up to fail? Have you ever had that at a job? They're not asking something from you because they want something. They're asking something from you because they don't think you could do it. And your failure may be a good reason to get rid of you. You've been in that kind of situation before? This is the situation that David is in. Saul is making a request for the purpose that David would fail. That David would die trying to get this done. And David does not react in a, in a way that, oh man, I can't believe I got all these people against me. No one wants to help me. And, and he does not react in such a way as to be upset. He reacts and oh, this is cool. I can do this. I don't have money to come up with, a, with a riches for a, for a dowry, but I can sure kill Philistines. And so he went out there and killed 100, uh, 200 of them and brought them to him. So if you ever have even a boss who is against you make requests of you that seem to be impossible, <laughs> don't be discouraged. Turn to God and say, Father God, I thank you that I not only can do what they're asking, but I can do more. And when you accomplish it, you will put fear into that boss. Just like it did with Saul. Saul became even more afraid of David. Because whatever he gave him, it prospered. Whatever he gave him, it prospered. Don't let the intentions of others, what they're asking of you, don't let that throw you. You can get it done. The Word of God says, I can do most things through God all things? Does that mean things that are made of, uh, requests that are made of you that are unreasonable? Things that are asked of you with poor intentions? All things, right? Don't get discouraged. Get out there and get it done. How much better are you going to look when someone gives you a thing that's impossible? May even tell people around you they're going to fail at this and you succeed. Oof. Well, we go over to the life of Jesus. He made some requests to people. We covered some of them in the past. Look, look at a few others. But I put this in the beginning here. 
there is a difference between the requests of God and the commands of God. There is a difference between the request of God and the commands of God. When God says, thou shalt not do any murder, is that a request? Now, what's he saying? <laughs> That's a command. Don't do it. When he says, thou shalt have no other gods before me, is he saying, you know, I really don't want you to, I really hope that you don't. Is, what's he doing? It's a command. It's not a request. It's a command. There's a difference between the request of God and the commands of God. If you don't make that discern, discernment, you're going to see everything that God says as a command. Or you'll see everything that God says as a request. You've got to discern between the two. Some things that God says are a command. Thou shalt not. That's a command. Other times he says, if you will do this, he's not commanding you to do it, but he's saying, if you'll do this, I'll do this. It's a request. How many times have we do that at home? You know, if you do the lawn, I'll do the dishes. Right? <laughs> we make a request. Well, that's what God sometimes does. Understand the difference between his request and his commands. There's a different blessing on both. So he says to his disciples over in Matthew chapter 4, a couple of the disciples, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, carrying a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending the nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. He had already had a relationship with them before that, you know, from some of the other stories. And now he's picking his disciples. He came on through, and he says, you and you, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. It's a request. It's not a command. It's a request. He's saying, follow me, and I will do this. Follow me, and I will do this. It's like a, if you get a request for employment. Work for me and I will pay you this. It's not a command. You don't have to do it. But if you do it, this is what the result's going to be. So here's a request. He says, follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will make you. Most times that, most times, not all, but most times that Jesus makes the request, he follows it with what will happen if you do. Not all though. Not all the times. I put in your outline, many of Jesus' requests were followed by a stated blessing. He said what was going to happen. In Luke chapter 8, verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. And when Jesus heard it, he answered and said, do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. Is it a command? No. Jesus is simply making a request. Look, if you will not be afraid... If you stay in the realm of belief, she will be made well. He's telling them, here's your choice. You can do this and this will follow. So he makes a request, but he gives a stated blessing. Read it again. Do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. Fortunately, he, Jarius went off and did that. He decided not to. Be afraid. He decided to believe, and they went on, went on along the, the way. 
Matthew 26, verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face, prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them asleep and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So here's the request. Watch and pray with me. Here's the stated blessing that will come. You won't enter into temptation. Did they do it? No. When Jesus comes back to him and he sees him asleep on the third time, what's he do? He lets him sleep. He doesn't make the request again. Jesus does not continually make the same request. He will continually make the same command. The commands don't change. He will continually say, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not, or thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not steal. He will continue to make the same command over and over and over. But the request, he'll stop. He will stop making that request. If his disciples decided not to follow him, would Jesus have come back, hey, please? Jesus makes a request. When the opportunity comes for that request, jump on it. He's not going to keep coming back with the same request like he does with the command. It's a different blessing that's there. You need to be ready to obey. That's why you need to grow in these things. If you don't grow in these, these things with requests, you aren't going to be ready. God's going to come with a request and you won't be ready and you'll say, uh-uh. And Jesus will go on. He'll find someone else. And you lost that opportunity. Many Christians lose opportunity because they have not let themselves grow to where God can make the request, where they will hear the request, or where they will respond to the request. It's not a command. He's not going to insist. He's going to ask. I sure hope we're all ready when he comes. He didn't come back to him on the third time and wake him up again. He said, watch and pray, but they didn't watch. And what happened to them when the temptation came? <laughs> they, all, they all fled. They deny Jesus. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 13, Jesus had given the first parable, the parable of the sower. In verse 13, he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Is he expecting that they would understand the parable? He is. Are they understanding it? No. But if Jesus is expecting them to understand it, is he making an unreasonable request? They should be at a place where they can understand it. And he says to them, look, if you can't understand this one, how are you going to understand all the others? Because they're going to be speaking in some more parables. So he says, do you not understand? In Matthew 14 and verse 16, all the people are gathered around to listen to Jesus. They've been following him all day long. They're out there in the wilderness. The disciples say, you know, you need to send them away. Let them go get something to eat. And Jesus says to them, he makes a request of the disciple, disciples here. But Jesus said to them, the disciples, the 12 disciples, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Jesus is asking, he's making it, it's not a command. He's not commanding them to feed them because did they do it? No, they saw it as too much. He's making a request. You give them something to eat. Does he give a stated blessing here? No. He does not say what will come to them if they do. 
Understand this. God does not always state his blessings on his request. He needs you to obey even if you don't know what's coming. You need to get to that place where you obey just because he said so. And believe me, he is not a cheap tipper. If, if you obey, you will more, <laughs> you'll get back more than you put in. But you just need to obey. He says to them, you give them something to eat. Well, they didn't feel like they could. All we got is this. <laughs> he says, fine, have them sit down. Who gave them something to eat? Jesus did. Jesus is the one who, who took the steps of faith. Who was expected to? The disciples. What do you learn from that? They weren't ready. They had been traveling with Jesus. Is there any better teacher than Jesus? Now, is it Jesus' fault they're not ready? Whose fault is it? Stop blaming other people in your life for not being where you need to be. Take charge of it yourself. If you're not there, why are you not there? Because I'm not doing what I need to do with what I have. I'll give you another example of this. Remember when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration? And nine disciples were left. And there was one guy, I brought my son to your disciples and they couldn't cast the demon out. And Jesus was, was uh, very pleased with their effort. No. He says, how long will I be with you? He had some other things to say, but he was not happy. Bring him here to me, he says. He expected him to take care of it. He took care of others. He expected him to take care of this one. Was it unreasonable? Should they be at a place where they could have that at that point? When Paul says in his letter, I would to give you meat, but I have to keep giving you milk. Believe us to the Corinthians. Did he expect them to be at a place to be able to eat meat? Were they there? Was it Paul's fault? <coughs> Whose fault was it? Theirs. Yeah, they were not there. And, and they missed out on some stuff. How, would you like, how many of you would like Paul to sit here right in front of us and give us some meat? Ooh. Oh, man, that's, that'd be some meat. That'd be some chewing. You'd be on that day like beef jerky. You'd be on chewing that for a long time. <laughs> mm. That would be good. But he's not here. But they missed out on an opportunity. Paul could have given them some meat. They weren't ready for it. Luke chapter 18, verse 22. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to them, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was, he was very rich. This is the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, I've kept all the commands. And Jesus said, uh, One thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Is this a command? No, it's a request. He then says, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. In other words, sell all that you got, liquidate it, and give it to the poor. You don't have anything to go back to. You got nothing now. And you will have treasure in heaven. Does he state the blessing? You will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Jesus does not give this invitation too often. We only have this invitation given to a handful of people in the Word of God. And they followed him. This is the one we have where they, he did not. What would have happened if he would have accepted it? Well, we have had 13 disciples. Would today 13 still be an unlucky number? 
I don't know if that's what we would have had, what would have been going on there, but he didn't follow. He's, he stayed back. Would he have been Judas's replacement? I don't know. But we don't know because he didn't follow. He turned away and became sorrowful, for he was very rich. It was a request. He was not prepared to answer positively. Should he have been prepared? Should he have been ready? If Jesus is asking this of him, should he have been in a place to have been ready? But he wasn't. His preparation went in the wrong direction. He prepared on keeping the commandments. He didn't prepare his heart. And when the request came, he was relying more on his riches than he was on his God. And it didn't work out that well. Well, we have another one. This is uh, some requests that we have from, from God the Father. First off, we see that Noah. We covered Noah not too long ago. If you weren't here for that, you can look it back up on the Internet. If not, of course, you can always go out and see the movie, and I'm sure you'll get all the facts right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. But you can read the story in the, in the Bible. But Noah was uh, uh, requested. Is, he, is it a command? Understand this, folks. A command is universal. A request is individual. A command is universal. A request is individual. God will make a command of all. He makes a command for his church. He makes a command for what is right. He makes a command for what is not right. That's a command. And it works for everyone. Doesn't matter. Jew, Greek, male, female. Don't matter. It's, it's the same all the way around. But a request is individualized. He will make a request of you. And it's based on where you are or where you should be. The rich young ruler came to a place and he should have been at a place to be able to answer positively to the request. And he was not. And he missed out on some stuff. Jesus doesn't come back too often and make requests again. Look at it this way. How often does your boss come and make a request for a report? Once? Maybe twice? If you don't have it done the second time, what happens? It's, it's not good, is it? Why do we think that Jesus just keeps coming and asking and asking and asking until finally we're ready? Huh. He expected you to have been ready. And when you weren't, you lost the opportunity. Don't lose the opportunity. If Daniel was not ready when that request came from the king, Daniel would be dead. Not, no other opportunity to come back. He would be dead. You've got to be ready for it. Well, Abraham, he had a command in uh, chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Does he state the blessing? He sure he, he, Actually, he lists quite a few of them. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. He's given them quite a list of blessings there. I will make you a great nation. So this is what he says, though. Leave the land that you're at. Leave your family. Go to a land that I will show you. I haven't shown it to you yet, but I will. I want you to, by faith, leave this to go to a place I'm going to show you. 
and I will do this. It's a request. Could Abraham have said no? And then what would God have done? We wouldn't be talking about Father Abraham. We'd be talking about Father whoever. <laughs> be somebody else that there'd be. He would have found somebody else along the line that would have done this. Probably not in Abraham's family. Some other family. It wouldn't have, wouldn't have, wouldn't have gone on. Well, in Genesis chapter 22, we have another one. We just looked at this recently, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said to him, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering as one of the mountains on which I tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. The request was made. What's he do? Rises early in the morning to go out there and do it. And took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Passage tells us it was a three-day journey he took. It took a little while to get there. God comes and makes the request. He has been building Abraham up for this purpose. That when the request would come, Abraham would be ready because in him all the nations are going to be blessed. It's because of his obedience on this that God could send Jesus and that all nations will be blessed. He was being prepared for this moment. But when that request came, he could not say, let me go away and think about that for a little while. Let me go consult with my wife, with my friends. Let me go consult with my uh, guidance counselor. See what they have to say. No, as soon as the request came, okay. The next day, early in the morning, he gets up and he goes. You can keep going through the Word of God and find plenty of these. I hope you do meditate on this idea and, and pull out some others on your own. I just got a couple more here for you. In Jeremiah chapter 32, we're not going to read it. You can go back there and read this on your own. Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah is in prison because he keeps telling people Babylon is coming and they're going to take over the city. So the king just decides, you know what, we're going to lock you up. And so he locks them up, puts them in the prison. And the word of the Lord came to him while he was in prison. Now, now get, the, get the scenery here. He is telling them this nation is going to fall. The king of Babylon is going to come in. He's going to conquer the whole thing. He's going to burn it down. He's taking over. This is what he's, he's prophesying. And God says to him in the prison, such and such a relative of yours is going to come and ask you to buy a property because you have the right of redemption. That's just the Jewish customs, the Jewish laws that were put in the, from the Bible. There's a right of redemption for these things. You're the closest relative and you have the right of redemption. He says, I want you to buy it. I want you to buy it. And so he's pondering on this. He just has this from God telling him in, in prison. I guess it wasn't too drastic of a thing because he uh, still wasn't sure. The request is kind of like this. If you were in Germany, as the uh, allied forces were closing in from the east and from the west, and the borders of Germany were getting smaller and smaller, and you had prime real estate in Berlin, and you were a prophet of God, and you were telling the people in Germany, God is going to judge this place. And the allies are coming in and they're going to take over. Don't, don't think that they aren't. They're going to take over. And the bombs are dropping in all the places and the area is getting smaller and smaller. And the um, eastern, the Russians over in the east are getting closer. The Americans over in the, the west side, they're getting closer. And you're prophesying this. And then God comes to you and says, I want you to buy a piece of property. House, 
store underneath, house above it. I want you to go out there and buy that. What would you think? Well, yeah, the, 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 the enemy's coming in. They're going to be bombing this place. Whatever building is on there is going to be destroyed probably. Uh, it's going to be valueless. They're going to take over the country and everything's going to be theirs. Why would I buy it? Because God had a word for, the, for them. He says, I want you to keep on going on and buying and selling. Because when Nebuchadnezzar takes this, people who still have property will still have property in the next, in the next time. He says, I want you to do this as an example to him. So the, shortly after that, this relative came up to him and says, I want you to buy this property. And he bought it for 17 shekels of silver. And they, they went through, they did all the, all the paperwork. And they describe in the Word of God all the paperwork. And then Jeremiah says, I want you to take all the deeds that have been signed. They had witnesses there in the prison. They brought people in. They had people in the prison, whatever it was. They had them all witnessed. They put them on the document. And he's, he turns it to the recorder. And he says to him, I want you to put this in an earthen vessel because it needs to be around for a very long time. He's doing this as a sign. But God made the request. Jeremiah, I want you to buy a piece of property in a place that is going to be conquered. That doesn't make sense. I'll bet you, if you just wait a week or two, you can get it real cheap. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't do that. He bought it then. Because that's what God told him to do. In Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus was asked by God the Father, I want you to go to earth. I want you to live a life as a man. Put down your, your deity. And I want you to live as a human. And after you conquer sin as a human and not give into it, I want you to go to the cross and I want you to die. So that all humanity can be redeemed. And Jesus says, I'll do it. Is it a command? No, it's not universal. It was just to him. And Jesus came down and did it. And he lived here for 33, 33 and a half years. 33 and a half years he lived here. Three and a half years of ministry. And at the end of it, he gets called on to make that sacrifice and to die on the cross. We saw his agonizing time in the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. When the disciples decide to rise up and to do something, he says, look, I can call 10,000 angels. And they'll come down and they'll redeem me. I don't need you. Put it away. Can you imagine that? God asking to do something and God would still send the forces out to redeem them? I think that's, that's astounding. Jesus was asked to be a sacrifice. And Jesus said, yes, he was ready. He was ready. When the time came for him to go to the cross, he was ready. Hard thing to do. Really hard. We can't even imagine how hard it was to be separated from the Father like he was. Because we've had that separation. He never did. Never did. Put this in your outline here at the end. God may ask you a couple of things. First off, he might ask you to prepare more. God may be asking you right now to do some things to prepare. He may be telling you to study. He may be telling you to read. He may be telling you to pray. He may be telling you to 
But if you do whatever it is he's telling you to do. He's going to be telling you some things to get you ready, to get you prepared. Listen to more tapes. Take in more word. Study it out. Meditate on it. Whatever it is, he's going to come upon you and he's going to say, Steve, I need you to do this. Are you ready to do it? Are you ready to answer that and say, yeah, I'm, I'll prepare more. Or are we going to say, you know, I would, but I'm a little busy right now. Got a few things going on in my life. As soon as I get these things taken care of, be right there. Remember, Jesus had that story. I almost put it in your outline, but I, I left it out. But Jesus had that story. He goes to one and says, you follow me. And the guy says, all right, as soon as I go, let me go bury my father and I'll come follow you. He says, take your time. You got plenty of time on this. Whenever, you, whenever it's convenient, whenever it works out, you look me up and you come on over. What's he say to him? Let the dead bury their own dead. <laughs> he didn't like excuses a whole lot, did he? Well, he had a few other people that he said some things to and dealt with their excuses. Remember when they had the feast? Sent out the invitations. They sent out the pre-invitations announcing the date. Then they sent out invitations getting closer. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, I know we had that on the calendar somewhere, but, you know, some things are coming up. I'm not sure if we can make it. What did, what did God think about all that? He wasn't too happy. He said, go out there and find anyone. Go out on the highways and byways. Forget those who were invited. They didn't, they didn't give it priority. Go out there and find anybody. The ones who were invited, we're not inviting them anymore. They are not allowed to come. God may ask you to prepare more. He's going to ask you to get some things ready. He's going to ask you to get you ready. There can be times that he's going to say, you know, read more, study more, whatever it might be. He's getting you ready. He knows what's coming up. Remember, he told the disciples, pray that you wouldn't enter not into temptation. And they weren't ready to do it. The request came. They let it go by. That particular request only went to three. The other nine stayed back in the other spot. They didn't go to everybody. It went to them. He may ask you to receive more. I want you to receive some things that you are ready to, to give. I remember one person I used to listen to all the time. I used to get to hear him quite often. And uh, God told them one time, he says, your job is to press into me to get as much out so that you can give it to the people that are around you. That's quite a, quite a thing. He needed to receive, so he got there and give. You cannot give what you don't already have. You've got to receive. Sometimes God is going to say, look, I need you to receive this. I need you to receive this revelation. I need you to receive this knowledge. I need you to receive this anointing. I need you to receive this word. I need you to receive this in the gift of the Spirit. I need you to receive it because I need you to give it out. If you don't have it, you can't give it. I need you to take it. I need you to get this. And he's trying to get us to get into a place where we'll press in and we will receive that. Is receiving on our end? We've got to get ourselves in a position to receive. Just like catching, we've used the example before, catching the football, catching the baseball. When you're going to catch a baseball, what do you do? Stand there? No, you get in a position to receive it. You got on the baseball glove. You got your, your mid up, your eye on the ball. You're ready for that thing to, to come in. When the football comes in, you, you know how to catch the football. You don't just let it hit you. You know how to catch the football. If you're going to receive something, you need to be in a position to receive it. Get yourself in a position. God may ask you to prepare more. 
He may ask you to receive more. He may ask you to minister more. He may say, look, preparation time is done right now. I need you to be out there. I need you to minister. Jesus prepared for 30 years, ministered for three and a half. God says, all right, it's time to stop on this end. Now I want you to be ministering. When Jesus was 12 years old, they found him in the temple asking questions and answering questions with the Pharisees and the scribes and the folks that were in there. And when his parents found him, what did he say? Did you not know that I would be about my father's business? He's preparing. He's not ministering at that point, but he's preparing. Prepare more, receive more, minister more. If you are in a ministry mode and God has you in a place of ministry, you need, your eyes need to be tuned. Who and what situations do I need to minister to? You get yourself ready. God says, I need you to minister more. And if you do that, if you answer that request and you minister more and more is coming from you, then what is God going to do with you? He's going to put more in. More will go in because you're, you're obeying. You're doing what he said to do. You're putting that out. Another thing, he's, he may ask you to give more. He may say, I want you to give more. You see that person over there? I want you to go over there and bless them. But I don't even know this bad person. Don't matter. I want you to go over there and bless them with this. And as we listen to that, as we hear it, not something we generate up on ourselves, not something that we follow somebody else's example. It's coming up on the inside of us. God's speaking to us. God's making a request of us. Will you do this? Okay. He may ask you to give more. Just because somebody got, God asked somebody else to give more doesn't mean he's asking you to. Find out what he's asking you to do. Prepare, receive, minister, give. Here's the last one. And you can probably come up with more than this. I just gave you five here. Here's the other one. Stop more. He may say, look, you've been doing that for a while. I need you to stop it. I need you to quit it. How many times are our kids growing up? And you know, when they're little, they're doing something. Oh, that's cute. Oh, that's so. But then after a while, it's not cute anymore. And then what do we want, we, what do, we want them to do? We want them to stop. You need to stop that. All of a sudden, one day, the request comes from mom and dad, stop that. Maybe you're at the job, and you've been doing something, and the boss finally got tired of it. and said, look, you need to stop this. You need to quit it. Don't do it anymore. God may say, you've grown to the point now where you, your growth is hindered until you stop doing this. You need to stop it. Aren't you all glad we don't have to be completely without sin to grow with God? None of us would be growing. But after we've grown for a while, God says, all right, this is the thing that's holding you back. You need to quit this thing. You need to quit it. I think I told you the story before. A.A. A. Allen, big, big uh, guy in healing ministry and uh, great healing and on the anointing that was on him. Really something else. I heard some stories that were told about him. And uh, one time he was just going to God, praying to God, went into his closet, literally went into his closet, closed the door, was praying to God, said, God, I'm tired of... Minister, just it's it, it, it's not what it's supposed to be. So I feel powerless out there. And God told him, He says, You need to stop doing some things. And He gave him a list, and I forget what was on the list. It was either uh, 10, 15, 20 things. It was something like that. It wasn't a huge list. It was 10, 15, 20, something like that. It may have been, let's just say it was 20. And He said, uh, If it was 20 things, He says, The first dozen or so were easy. Everybody did them. It was easy to stop. The next couple of ones were tougher. He said, the last three were really hard. He said, when I got those last ones out of my life and I stopped doing them, he talks about the first meeting at that point that he had gone to and the tent was filled with people. 
And it, it was so, so full of people, he couldn't get into it. He came in from the back. And as he was coming in from the, from the back, he saw someone there. And, they, and you could tell something was wrong. He asked, What's, what is wrong with you? And the uh, lady, the man, I don't know who it was, uh, told them what was wrong. He laid hands on them right there. And instantly they were healed. It was visible. It was instant. It was visible. And the people all around there saw what was going on. And the, he said the meeting started at the back of the tent. And that just went on, on from there. And a powerful healing ministry erupted out of A.A. A. Allen. I know it didn't end well with him and he got some things. Maybe he got back involved in some of those things that he wasn't supposed to have been involved with. But I don't know what all happened with that. But I do know that God used him mightily. And uh, he had a... He would be on the radio. I, I never heard him on the radio, but I heard what he would say. He would say, if you want to write to, to me, just write to A.A. Allen, and you would just use the town. He said, because everybody in such and such a town, someplace in Texas, knows A.A. Allen. That's all you had to do to write him. If you wanted to write a letter to A.A. Allen, you would just write, A.A. Allen, such and such place, Texas. And we get there. <laughs> he was that well known. That's what God did. But he had to stop some things. He had to quit some things. You don't have this in your outline, but I had this in mind. We are tempted to see God's commands as restrictions. We are tempted to see God's commands as restrictions and his requests as reductions. Hope you get, you, you get this one. We are tempted to see God's commands as restrictions and his requests as reductions instead of a pathway to additions and multiplications. Give it to you one more time. We are tempted to see God's commands as restrictions. Remember in the garden? Has God really said? No, God says that the day that you eat of it, he knows that you will become as God. The enemy comes in to tempt you to see God's commands as restrictions. God is restricting you from this. God is keeping you from this. That's what the enemy does. That's what he did in the garden. That's what he continues to do today. And his request as reductions. Whatever God is asking of you, you are being, you're going to have to give up stuff. And you're not going to get it back. It's a reduction. Instead of a pathway to additions and multiplications. God sees his commands and his requests as pathways to add things to you and multiply what you have. That's what he sees. Part of the training that we are receiving is getting us ready that any request that God makes to us, we are ready for it. At this point in your training, at this point in your training, what can God ask of you before he asks too much? Where you are right now in your training, what can God ask of you before he asks too much? When do you start to say no? When do you start to get frustrated? When do you start to get angry? All those kind of things come up. Don't think you don't get angry at God. Has God ever asked something of you and you got angry? God, do you want me to do what? You get frustrated? Why are you asking me to do that? You don't ask so-and-so to do that. You're in a different place. How much can he ask of you? And if you think you don't have a limit, here's a super spiritual answer. God can ask anything of me and I'll do it. As long as I know that it's God, I will do it. That's hogwash. If you don't think so, just look at how you respond to the people that are around you. Because the people that are around you 
will ex- exploit your restrictions. You can hide behind, well, if God, I just don't know that it's God. If I knew it was God, I'd go ahead and do it. Yeah, that's not so, so much. Remember the rich young ruler? He approached Jesus as Lord. What do I need to do? You tell me what I do, I'm going to do it. I am ready. And he says, go sell what you have. And the man went away. Sad. Sad because the request that Jesus made made him sad. Sometimes the request that God makes of us can make us sad. They can make us angry. They can make us frustrated. They can get us to a place where we will say no. We don't do it. Where are you in your growth process? How are you doing in getting ready? Are you ready to listen to God? Are you ready to hear what he has to say? When we think of our prayer and our time that we have with God, for most part, we, as we were talking about before, my wife was bringing up some of these things from reading Revelation. For the most part, we make our prayer time as a request time. And we ask God for things. We ask God to do things. We don't just ask God for ourselves. We ask God for things for other people. But we're either asking for ourselves, we're asking for other people, we're asking God to do things. We've missed a whole lot of what's, what prayer is. Just to give you a, a heads up on this, and I, I know these are probably things that you know, but I just want to get you in remembrance of this. When you are asking God for things, it is a religious mindset that thinks the more people who pray, the more likely I will get what I need. And so when we have a prayer need, how often, how much are we thought, think, well, we just need to get it out to as many people as we can, right? The idea is we're praying for, most times that people have a request, have a need in their life, you don't need to ask God anything. You need to pray for them. When you guys submit prayer requests to me, most of the time I'm just praying for you. I just pray for you. Father God, I thank you that you have built them up. I thank you that you have put them in a place where they are ready to do what needs to be done. I pray for you. Because I don't need to ask God to move. You, you already know this fact. You already know this. How many people making a request of God for something does it take? How many? One. 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 That's it. Go through the word of God. When The story we read with Jarius. When Jairus comes and he hears the, the news about his daughter dying, does Jesus turn to the multitude and say, look, guys, I need all of you to stay in faith? What's he do? He turns to one, Jairus. If you do not be afraid, only believe. He's speaking to him. He doesn't care about anyone else. He only cares about him. If you, you, do not be afraid, only believe. And what will happen? Your daughter will be made well. They just got the news she was dead. She don't need to be made well, right? <laughs> Jesus looked at it that he needs to be made well. Blind Bartimaeus comes to Jesus to ask for what? His sight. Jesus even asked him, what do you want? I want to receive my sight, right? That's what he says. How many people are in faith? One. Is Jesus in faith? No. Jesus doesn't need to be in faith. Who needs to be in faith? The one receiving. Jesus never speaks about his faith when he's dealing with individuals in this. Does he talk about his faith when he's talking about Bartimaeus? No. Is anyone else in the crowd in faith 
with Bartimaeus. They're all trying to get him to hush. There's only one person in that entire crowd who's in faith to receive blind Bartimaeus' sight. Who is it? Blind Bartimaeus. That's it. One guy. Did he get it? (laughs) He sure did. He got it. One person. One. That was it. When the Samaritan woman catches him, how many people are in agreement with her? They all, tell her to be quiet. Get her, get her away from here. Why is she bothering us? Is Jesus bothering with her? No, not at all. How many people are in faith? One. Who? The Samaritan woman, the one who wants to receive it. No one else is in faith. Is Jesus in faith? No, she's in faith. I'm not saying Jesus is in doubt and unbelief. She's the one he wants to, he, he, she wants to draw from him. So she needs to be the one in faith, right? When the uh, woman with the issue of blood comes, how many people are in faith? Uh, is the crowd in faith? The crowd doesn't even know anything that's going on. Is Jesus in faith? Jesus does not even know anything is going on until power is pulled from him. And then he stops and he says, who did that? Who touched me? And his disciples said, well, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about? No, no, no. Somebody touched me and power came out. Who did it? Who did it? Who was in faith? How many people were in faith? One. 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 Why is it we keep having this idea that we've got to get multiple people in faith? The effective, fervent prayer of many righteous people. Honey? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. A righteous man. One more example for you. Jesus shows up at the tomb of Lazarus. How many people are in faith? This one's just a little bit different, but I want you to see the slight change in it. Is his sister in faith? No. Other sister? No. The disciples? How about the people are going to roll the stone away? Man, he's going to stink. We don't want to open the stone. He's going to stink. He's been dead four days. They're not in faith. How about Lazarus? Is Lazarus in faith? Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. He is not in faith. So who is in faith? All right, here's where you need to see this. The one who needs to be in faith is the one who makes the request. Because what does Jesus say when they roll the thing away? Lazarus, come forth. He's the one making the request. The person who's, in, who's making the request needs to be in faith. Don't worry about anybody else. The one making the request needs to be in faith. You get yourself in faith, you can receive anything from the Lord. But you've got to get yourself there. When we get together and pray, don't sit around talking about all the things that we need. Talk about what God needs. Talk about what God needs. You need to put yourself into a place where you are not just making requests to God, but where God is able to make requests of you. And you've gone through his word and you say, God, you want this to happen on the earth. You want this to go on on the earth. We're standing right now for this to happen on the earth. And we pray together as a group. Leave, all, leave the things aside of what you need and say, Father God, what do you need? What do you need? You see, when we spend our time together praying about his needs, 
What do you think he'll do? You don't have to look far for that answer. As parents, how often have you labored for your children? Working, providing a roof, providing money, providing food. You provide, you provide, you provide, you provide, you provide. They need help. What do you do? You help. What would happen if your kids started out their day? Mom, can I do anything for you? If they came home from school, Mom, Dad, is there something around the house that I can help with? What would you do as a parent? After you picked yourself up off the floor. After that, what would you do as a parent? Would you not find out what more you could do for them? But when they keep making requests and requests and requests and requests and do nothing in return, what is your energy level for helping them? You do it because you love them. But your energy level, is it there? No. But all they got to do is do that one thing. Then how is it that we don't think that happens with God? We keep coming to God and we keep asking God for things and asking God for things and asking God for things and asking God for things. And then all of a sudden one day we come to God and say, God, what do you need? It's in the Bible. I wrote it in the Bible. I wrote down what I needed in the Bible. And we say, okay, I'm going to spend some time reading the Bible, find out what you need. And we find out what he needs. And we say, I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to pray for this. There's a couple of examples of people who did this in the Word. One was Daniel. As he was praying and interceding for his people, he was studying in the Word. And he saw in the Word that 70 years was determined for his people to be in captivity. And he said, Father God, you determined 70 years for captivity. 70 years is up. What do you want us to do next? And he began to pray about what their next step was for God. And God was so excited that somebody had asked this. He immediately set the answer. It took three weeks to get to him because of the enemy. But he immediately sent the answer. We need to shift our relationship from just God handling our affairs to us understanding we are ministers of the kingdom and we are here to handle his. And the sooner we get hold of the fact that I am being trained to handle the affairs of my God here in this earth, it will change the way we live, change the way we operate, it will change our growth. As long as our prayers are nothing more than what God can do for me, we're not going to get to that spot. God, what can I do for you? That gets us ready. So when God comes along and he makes a request of us, we are prepared and we are ready to answer him. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. We'll be like Abraham. Early in the morning, he got up to do what God asked him to do. Early in the morning. He got up. What is God asking you now? What will he be asking you? And are you making yourself ready? Are you prepared for what's ahead? If you follow the leading of the Spirit, he will get you ready. He will get you ready. It doesn't mean you will be ready. But if you follow what he says to do, he'll get you there. He'll get you to that point. He won't make the yes or no answer for you. But he'll get you to that point. But if you don't listen to what he says and the preparation that he's doing for you, we won't be there. Would you all stand up with me? Father, you are preparing us for the battle that is this life, for the battle that is for your kingdom.
You are preparing us, Father. You are making us ready. You are making us stronger. I thank you, Father, for it. We are prepared and we are ready. When you make request of us, our response will be yes. We want to be ready to say yes and do it now and not to wait. Father, your commands are universal, but your requests are individual. We need to hear what you have to say. We thank you, Father, for the things that you have done for us, places that you have taken us in the past, the places that you have for us in the future. Whatever our life is lacking, it's because we have missed something that you wanted us ready for. Father, we want to get ourselves ready so that we never miss an opportunity, a chance to say, yeah, I can do that. God, you can call on me and I'll say, I can do it. I am made ready. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Beside uh, prayer requests, we have some praise reports. I know I saw some people writing them down. I heard some people were bringing them in. If you don't have uh, yours turned in yet or didn't write yours down, raise your hand. Uh, Ushers will be happy to get something over there to you. And we'll read off the ones that we have here up to now. Um, how many of you know his great-granddaughter came early? Um, so he says, uh, my great-granddaughter finally arrived. Her, his granddaughter, Jessica, had a hard time. She was in the hospital on bed rest for five weeks prior to this. I wasn't aware of that. Um, when, she went into, uh, when she went in, I asked God to make sure that mom and daughter came through safe and healthy. Every day, I thank God for keeping them safe and healthy. Um, she delivered by C-section on Thursday. Um, the baby, Olivia, is uh, really tiny. She's about four pounds, two ounces. That's, that's little. <laughs> he says, I got to see her for the first time yesterday, uh, and the nurses let him hold her. He says, I could hold her in one hand. Um, she's doing well and breathing on her own. How many of you know that's a miracle for being uh, born early? But she does have uh, a feeding tube, which is just temporary. He says it was really awesome to hold her. I wanted to bring her to church today, but the nurses wouldn't allow it. He says, I probably could have smuggled her out in my pocket, but better not. <laughs> so we praise God for that. that one. Um, this is from Anna. She said, I went to the doctor this week, and I'm fine. I am released from care. I don't have to go back. Uh, and she's all healed up. She says, I just need some physical therapy yet. And she says, our God is faithful. There's something back here. Oh, that's for you. <laughs> so Anna is all better hallelujah all healed up that's what we like to hear speedy recoveries from surgery right Susan said I had a bad fall at work um, but I'm thankful that she didn't get hurt praise God protection there Ray says I thank God for his peace has been upon my work um, though challenges have presented themselves this week overall uh, his overall response has been a positive and calm one praise God how many of you know people watch how we respond to things? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm learning more and more that our testimony is more than what we say. It's what we do. You know, um, if we say, if we're trying to get people to, to come to church, um, how many of you know you better be in church? <laughs> you know, yeah, come on, come to church, and then, you know, you'll see me every once in a blue moon. Um, Sharon says, oh, wait, this is for you. Um, Josiah, stand up, sir. 
Everybody clap. Josiah graduated with honors. Woohoo! Praise God. She say, say um, thank, thank the Lord for Josiah graduating with honors and for both our kids accomplishing one of the reasons we came to the U.S. by getting their college degrees. Mm-hmm. Amen. Congratulations, sir. And this is from Josiah. I graduated this week. I want to thank God for my parents because they constantly encouraged me and gave me good advice. <clears throat> They've been a big blessing in my life. Amen. How many of you know that's just a blessing to acknowledge that your kids acknowledge you? Amen. Um, Also, when the fall 2013 semester began, I told God I wanted to find a job before I graduated in May. I recently had interviews with the company, and a week before graduation, they offered me the job. Praise God. Not only graduating, but on the road to success in the job. Hallelujah. Um, Nada says, I found out a week ago that I was chosen out of everyone in production on my job, even above the other supervisors. Wow. Um, above the other supervisors to be and represent the company along with our new president and vice president and three others for a company open house in June. Mm. Praise God. Um, on the open, oh, he's on the open house committee where we have to come up with ideas and plan out this open house in June. This was all done without my prior knowledge. Thank God for favor. Wow. Can you say blessings on that family? Mm-hmm. Amen. Um, okay. Mercy says, thank God for 10 years of service in Grandview Hospital. Praise God. Amen. Congratulations, Mercy. That's for you there, too. I see that. Um, any other praise reports today? Got a lot of things happening. Praise God. And I got some things. 